Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host, Chris Morales. Pulling triple duty today, because not only is he going to co-host and produce, but he's also not feeling too well, a little bit under the weather. But we're still going to work him. 646-564-9909. 646-564-9909 is the number. If you want to call in to speak to us, if you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our website, ocgworks.org. That's O-C-G-W-O-R-K-S dot org and click on the OCG Radio Live button. Or you can also go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. You don't have to How about them Cowboys? Can I at least finish my? Oh uh, no, I could not wait. I could. It couldn't come soon enough. My opportunity to drop that one. <laughs> you don't have to call in on the call in line and listen to the show unless that's your only means. If so, by all means, do so. Got that from memory. Uh, how disrespectful to the Cowboys! <laughs> if you drop that on them like that. Oh, had to do it. Had to do it. Well, um, Mr. Producer is under the weather, uh, but I think he's um, well enough where he's going to try and uh, struggle through uh, part of the happy recap. But uh, buckle up today, folks, because uh, I may be taking you for around the moon and back with our uh, what we got in store for you today. So uh, strap in the seatbelt and... Um, We'll try and uh, we'll, we'll try and keep it local, but we might might get a little esoteric on you today. There you have it. So uh, <clears throat> I guess I could start things off with the uh, the ADD or the ADHD. We wanted to try and come back with some sort of analogy that could make things um, a little easier to understand or simplify things a little bit for the listening audience. We had a caller last week. She called in and inquired specifically as to how 
a stimulant-based medication can work for a disorder such as ADHD where hyperactivity is a feature of that disorder. And so the, the best way to explain that using analogies and being that the host here is a huge fan of cars, I was trying to think of an analogy I could use that pertains to cars. And so the only way I could really break it down is using a stimulant-based medication would be like adding brakes to a car. So if a car didn't have any brakes, it would just be going full speed all the time. And taking a stimulant or using a stimulant would stimulate the need for brakes, so to speak, or stimulate the um, the addition of brakes to the car to give one the ability to slow down. So in fact, the stimulant is so specific that it targets the part of your brain that is meant for focus uh, and therefore when you take that stimulant medication your ability to focus heightens that's the best way to describe it in my opinion so like it kickstarts that part of the brain that's not functioning properly that's right exactly I mean you could get into neurochemical transmitters essentially what it does is over time will increase the amount of dopamine that's going through your brain as well as uh, norepinephrine. Uh, these are neurochemical transmitters made for focus or attention, things of this nature that folks with ADD or ADHD don't have um, either enough of uh, circulating through the brain and slowly adding stimulant-based medications into the mix for these folks uh, will give folks the ability to uh, or their brain the ability to circulate these neurochemical transmitters. Fascinating. <laughs> that account for, uh, you know, focus and attention and things of that nature. Also, another way um, that I read about it was that, especially in kids, you see kids with ADHD, they're self-stimulating uh, all the time, playing with things or, you know, they, they can't stop fidgeting, whatever the case may be, and giving them a stimulant-based medication prevents the need for self-stimulation, and then with this medication they can... Uh, they're already the brain is already enacting as if it's being stimulated, and then they can therefore focus or do something like you know that they need to do that they may not want to do, read a book, homework. Et so once again, I'm still just right back at so it just kickstarts a part of the brain that ain't working. That's right. Thank you. That's that's right. So thanks for taking us to the moon and back, but clarifying the question for our caller from last week. Um, and I think Peter, another caller, tried to help clarify in terms of for adults, which they right. don't give the stimulant to. So good stuff. That was our homework. So we say we're going to do our homework and our research. We do it. There you have it. All right. What's our topic, uh, show topic for today? Not to laugh in the background. 
show topic. What's the feeling? Now, that expression actually is paying homage to somebody. Is it homage or homage? That would be homage. That would okay. be the word you're looking for there. All right. Well, we're used to saying home, homeboy, so homage. Um, or if you want to put I, a little French accent on it, you could say an homage. 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 Okay. Uh, it belongs to uh, the gentleman that uh, played a significant role in training me as a counselor. And just ironically, today I just realized the irony in his first name, which was Felix, and his name is Felix Arroyo. And anyone from back in old school daytop days that might be listening will uh, will recognize the name. Uh, this was one deep character in terms of teaching you about feelings and how to learn about them so that you can teach it to others. And one of his he would always say, what's the feeling? He would make you dig deeper and deeper and deeper and keep on asking that question. What's the feeling? What's the feeling? What's the feeling? So you'd be naming all kinds of things, but you'd never be naming the feeling. So you'd keep on repeating that. So that's where that comes from. What's the feeling? So that's what our show topic is about today, feelings. Now, before you go off thinking that it's about when we say feelings that we're going to be getting touchy-feely on you, no, 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 no. What we're going to be talking about is something that's important for people who are entering treatment, exiting treatment, are in the midst of their recovery, in the golden age of their recovery, in the diamond age of their recovery, knowing how to identify, articulate, verbalize, name them, attach them to people, places, things, and experiences. And once you can do that, then you can actually tell someone how you feel and actually use the actual words. So we like to tell someone when they come into treatment and they're starting their recovery process that, or at least I like to say, you know, 65% of what you're going to hear, you already know. You've heard it from your parents, grandparents, aunts, anyone that was a a mentoring figure in your life from childhood on up through adolescent latency age, adolescent and teenage age. The other thirty five percent primarily is going to be things we're going to teach you about the feelings. Because we're going to be telling you a lot to talk, share, purge. And we're not just saying talk to be talking, sharing to be sharing, purging to be purging, but letting people know how you feel specifically about whatever it is you're talking about, whatever it is you're sharing about, whatever it is you're purging, whatever the experiences are. You have to be able to tell people how you feel. And oftentimes when you go up to someone casually, just say, you know, and you say, how are you feeling today? And they'll tell you what they're thinking. And so we're very careful when we ask a question to listen when we say, how are you feeling? Or what are the feelings? To make sure the person is not telling us what they're thinking. Because it's two different questions. We also have to be sure to make sure persons don't intellectualize their feelings. Rationalize them away. 
Now, another person, before I get into it, that I want to give some props to, because he, he taught me what I'm going to start with, Neil Krosky, if he's listening out there, uh, one of the things he taught me was an easy way to start the process of learning about your feelings, and it's called FLAP, F-L-A-P-P. And years later, I kind of modified it a little bit off into the solar system a little bit. <laughs> but you'll understand when I tell you. We're buckled up. Yeah, We're ready. So strap, strap on. Okay. But though so the original meaning of flap, and this is where we start people off, let's get down to the one, two, three, four, five basic feelings. We start from there. Fear, loneliness, anger, pain, where you can substitute hurt, and pleasure. Okay. I'm not capable of that emotion. <laughs> so I give people those five feelings and, and then say from there, now we're going to have a conversation and you're going to tell me how you feel. So if you, you know fear, you know loneliness, you know anger, you know pain, you know pleasure, you can now tell me how you feel about certain things using those five core feelings. We then give an exercise and have people list what their fears are. And we're not talking about general fears that nine-tenths of the population on the planet have, fears that are specific to you, fears that have held you back from moving forward in your life, things of that nature. So if you tell me, oh, I have a fear of dying, that doesn't count. I'm talking about, you know, there's people, people want to have a fear of failure, a fear of success, a fear of... Uh, what else, Mr. Producer? Uh, fear of loneliness, uh, fear of relationships, you know, so... Fear, yeah, of, fear of relapsing. Yeah, so real fears that are specific to you, not general fears that are, that are general to the population, so to speak. Then we ask, okay, do you know what the, you know, can you identify and, and know what the definition of loneliness is? Yes, okay. And when we, everyone pretty much knows anger. Everyone pretty much knows pain. And again, we can substitute hurt. Hurt and pain kind of go together. And pleasure, okay? Anything that makes you feel good, you know, joy, you know, something that's positive. So you can attach that to pleasure. And then from there, you then have to then validate them. Now, when we oftentimes are talking to someone about their, their feelings, Let's just talk. Let's just talk about men, okay? So obviously, it, when we deal with the men, you know, the, the main thing that comes up, the main feeling that comes up is anger, okay? The big bad anger. But I don't allow the anger, meaning, I'm sorry, we're not going to deal with the anger. What? But I got an anger problem. I say, really. I can cure your anger problem in 30 seconds. Okay, prove it. What are you angry about? And they'll say, oh, I'm angry about blah, 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 blah. I said, well, guess what? Anger is a normal human emotion. If you didn't get angry, you wouldn't be normal. You wouldn't be human. So, in essence, everyone gets angry. Everyone can say they have an anger problem because everybody gets angry. True, Mr. Producer? That is very true. Okay. Now, is it that you have an anger problem, 
or we have a problem with what you do when you get angry. Oh, well, yeah, I have a problem with what I do when I get angry. Oh, so the problem isn't the anger. It's something else. See, I just cured you in 30 seconds or less. That's right. It's the reaction to the anger, huh? Okay. We put the anger to the side, and we say, well, what's what's going on prior to that? And that's where the problem comes. That's where the digging deep has to come. Because it's very easy to just talk about the anger, the anger, the anger, the anger. But I say, well, you know, anger is rarely... You know how last week I was trying to say rarely, but this week I'm trying to say rare, rarely. Okay, Anger is rarely the first feeling. Something happens before that. And so when I ask, okay, put the anger to the side. Now I want you to dig deep. Get out of your head. Get into your gut. What happened? What did you feel right before that, before you got angry? And in order for that to happen, in order for that exercise to work, a person must be willing to, once again, be honest. Once again, trust, okay, and dig deep. And when they do that, you often hear, you know what, I was frustrated. You know what, I was afraid. You know what, I was embarrassed. You know what, I felt rejected. You know what, I was hurt. So all these things that happen that may cause a person to then become angry. So there's a chain of things. It happens in a certain order. It's not haphazard. You know, the anger is, you know, that, you know, if someone is, you know, physically displaying anger or verbally displaying anger, you know, it's all, you know, it's like the lion roaring to keep you away. You know, the wounded animal, you know, don't come near me. You know, I'm angry. But we know, you know what, we don't let that scare us. We'll go up, we'll put our arm around them and say, okay, what's really going on here? What happened here? Dig a little deeper. Well, I don't like what that person said. Well, what did did it do to you? Well, it hurt my feelings. Well, why why can't we speak to that? Let's talk about that rather than the anger. Well, it's not easy. It's not comfortable to talk about the hurt. It's not comfortable to talk about rejection. It's not comfortable to talk about frustration, loneliness, and the other things that might cause someone to react with anger. Anger is a nice manly emotion. Macho. Macho. We got no problem admitting being angry. Sure, uh, maybe some men are uh, admitting that they're angry is what they're most comfortable doing because it can fit into maybe that kind of persona that you're trying to portray. You know, and some people being raised, men specifically, that you shouldn't cry and you shouldn't show any kind of a, you know, emotion on that kind of level because it shows weakness. Whereas anger, okay, that's an emotion that I can live with because if anything, it's the opposite of being weak. It, like you said, like the wounded animal, it's kind of telling you to get away from me. Right. We then want... We want people to be able to, I, I would say people who are, um, who live in their head, the intellectuals, have a more difficult time getting in touch with 
what they're feeling. So when you ask them, well, how are you feeling? The answer really becomes a, a, a convoluted, you know, rationalization explanation, and you don't hear a feeling mentioned in there. So we kind of have to corner them and then narrow them down and force them to get out of their head and get into their gut. And and for those who don't understand, when I use the term gut, what I'm talking about is, you know, that sense that you have, some might call it the sixth sense, it might be the seventh sense, but it's it's that inner voice in you that lets you know, don't go down that alley. You know, a vibe that you may pick up from someone. You know, that's your gut talking to you. And so people are very protective of their gut, consciously and subconsciously. And so the person who is not used to, is not in touch with their gut and is not used to speaking to what they really feel will we'll basically tell you what they're thinking. And so we have to try and correct that and bring their gut into the conversation. Just like there are people who are on the yeah, other extreme. So we have one extreme, Mr. Producer, of people who, are, who, who really can't speak to their feelings and can only tell you what they're thinking. And then you have the other extreme of people... Who have no, I mean, everything that comes out of their mouth is just uh, 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 feelings, but they can't bring thought into it to help control their actions. Sounds like you're describing men versus women. <laughs> I just, I, I want to interrupt this message for <laughs> an important announcement that did not come from me. Um, no, I'm talking about humans in general. Yeah. Can't can't stereotype. Logical so, people who react or or make decisions based off logic or think logically or linearly, and those who are a waterfall of emotions and will make decisions based on emotion. Well, I won't say waterfall of emotion. I'm saying, I mean, people who are reactors. Right. You right, know, right. people who get upset at the you know drop of a dime, get angry at the drop of a dime. Those are people who respond to their belly, respond to their gut, um, and they uh, you know they they eliminate their thought process. Or their, or their gut dominates their thought process, whereas someone who's more intellectual, their inter, their brain dominates their gut. And we always try and get everyone to the middle. Right. 50-50, and then where appropriate, okay, you have to use your brain to control how you behave behind what you're feeling, regardless of what you're feeling, but you might be in a courthouse and be highly upset at something that you may hear, and you have to control it. So what, what causes you to control it? Your brain says, okay, now, to be aware is to be alive. We're aware of what we're feeling, but we've got to stay calm, stay in control. So that's using the brain to help control what the gut's going through. But the person that's on the other extreme, that's just all gut, hasn't been able to incorporate that yet, and so they just spill out. They have no filter. It just comes out, no matter regardless of where they are. So we have to teach that person, okay, your issue is not getting in touch with your feelings. You are right there in touch with your feelings. Your issue is incorporating some of your thought process into control what, how you're reacting, control what you're doing behind your feelings. Right. So we work both ends of the spectrum here because people come from both ends of the spectrum. And every now and then we find someone that's 
kind of hoovering in the middle. But no one is really dead cent- dead center in the middle because you got to go back and forth depending on the circumstance, the situation, what you're talking about, what the experience is. That's what you want to be. You want to develop yourself to the point where you can do both as needed. Right. Now, when once we tell someone, okay, so we got the five basic feelings, fear, loneliness, anger, pain, and pleasure. I ask you to list your, your fears. I ask you to list your insecurities, the fe- things you feel insecure about. I ask you to list your inadequacies, the things you feel inadequate about. Well, well why, why is this exercise necessary? Why do I have to write these things down? Why are they important? Well, if you don't address your fears before you walk out the doors of the treatment setting, then how are you going to establish coping mechanisms or determine whether or not the fears are real or imagined or if they're valid or not? If you don't address the insecurities and validate whether or not they're real or imagined, they're going to continue to impact what you do in your life. So oftentimes I see written down when we do the exercise, someone says, I'm insecure with the way I speak or the way I feel like I, you know, when I get up and talk in front of people, I, I like I'm just going to mumble and stumble and bumble my words. And I say, well, you, you have to validate that. Is that an imagined insecurity or is that a real insecurity? Well, how, how do we go about validating our feelings to make sure that they're real or imagined. Well, if you have a frame of reference, so someone once said, well, I feel insecure with my body image. Well, why? Well, because when I was in school, younger, you know, people teased me and they said, you know, they, they, they said I was fat and overweight and I didn't look good and so on and so forth. So I've, I've grown up with this insecurity. Well, that person has a frame of reference that validates their insecurity. Now, let's move to the other person who, who says the same thing. And we ask them the question. said, well, tell me, where does this insecurity come from? I don't know. Has anyone ever told you that you were ugly or that you weren't attractive or that you, you know, looked a certain way that wasn't pleasing to the eye? Have you ever been told that, you know, repeatedly? No. No, as a matter of fact, the opposite. So where does this insecurity come from? I don't know. Strike that off your list. There's an actual term we use for that, but I can't say it on the air. (laughs) But we have to determine whether it's real or imagined. And if it's imagined, it comes off. We, We want to deal with the real stuff. We don't have time to be dealing with uh, stuff you've made up in your mind. And that's what we have to source through here. And what we end up having to say to people, ultimately, is regardless of how you're feeling, you're going to be left with, you're going to be left with valid fears. And we've got to figure out a way to get you to the point where those fears aren't impacting your life. 
you're going to be left with valid insecurities. We have to figure out a way to get you to a place where those insecurities aren't impacting your life. We're going to get to a point of valid inadequacies. We've got to get you to a point where they're not impacting your life. Once that's done, okay, you're going to find yourself in positions where these fears are going to rear their ugly heads. These insecurities are going to rear their ugly heads. These feelings of inadequacy are going to rear their ugly heads because you're going to find you're going to you're going to be out in the world living your life where things are going to cause these feelings to come back up. And what are you going to do? Is the feeling going to dominate and and, and rule and dictate, or are you going to do what we? counsel to do, what we would advise you to do. Now, there's two ways we tell you. One way I can't repeat (laughs) on the air. If we were in person, I would tell you that way. But over the airways, I have to tell you the nice way. We would tell you, you know what you got to do? When you stand up there in front of that audience, you got to take that fear, that, that insecurity, and put it in your back pocket and challenge it and go do what you got to do. Now, you can use your imagination for what the other term is we might use to tell a person what they got to do to conquer that fear and conquer that insecurity. But if you remember from our previous shows, when we would emphasize no free lunch, you have to do something in order to conquer those feelings of the fears, the insecurities, and the inadequacies. They don't just magically disappear. You have to do something. And when you do that, whatever that thing is, for that specific feeling you're trying to overcome, when you do it, it then slowly diminishes it, little by little by little, to the point where, wow, you know what? I have absolutely no fear now talking in front of people. As a matter of fact, they've got to push me, push me from in front of the family because I'm up there just rambling on. <laughs> That does become the case for some people. Oh, yeah. Some people, we got to say, okay, that's enough. Cut it. Whereas day one, when they came in, we had to drag them up in front of the family. That's right. But they had to do something to conquer that fear. If someone says, you know, I'm lonely. Now, we do know there's a difference between loneliness and alone. Correct, Mr. Producer? That is correct. Okay. So when someone comes up to us and says, well, you know, I feel lonely. Well, we've got to look into that. Where's that coming from? Why do you feel that way? Now, we're, we're all of us are aware that a person can be in a room of 500 people and still feel lonely. They're not making, they're not, they don't have any connection to anyone in the room. And so you can literally feel lonely. But what's behind that? What's causing that? And in order to dig into that, again, the person must be willing to be honest, must must trust, and must believe that the, as a result of digging deeper into your gut, into what's going on with, with how you're feeling, that there lies a light at the end of the tunnel. That, wow, I'm going to be able to really get an understanding of what's, you know, why I feel this way. And maybe be able to do something about it. By the way, 
as a, I think any counselor will tell you, one of the most difficult aspects of counseling is trying to get another human being to believe something that they don't, at the mo- this moment in time, believe or feel. Right. And then convincing them that they, if you only do this, just do this, you'll get to experience the opposite of what you're feeling right now. And sometimes we get to experience the, um, what is it, the uh, the reward of seeing someone do it, cha- challenge their fears, their insecurities and their inadequacies, and see the light. Watch them overcome it. Watch them overcome it and see it all come to fruition. It's pretty amazing to watch, too, when it does happen. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, and you've made mention of this before, but a lot of what we do, we don't get to see the results necessarily of the seed we planted. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, even something small like that, to watch that happen is uh, pretty awesome to experience or be a part of. So once we teach a person flap, that gets them on the highway to now learning how to talk about their feelings. So what, what, whatever the experiences are that a person may have had that have contributed to their trauma, their um, their their drug use, whatever issues that are there for them that need to be addressed, they now are armed with some words that they can now attach to experiences or attached to people, places, or things. And we know what fear feels like. We know what loneliness feels like. We know what anger feels like. We know what pain or hurt feels like. We know what pleasure feels like. And so since we know what those things are, most people know what those things feel like. Now we can say, okay, well, when this happened, now that I got these five feelings to start with, now I can say how I felt about this this experience, whereas before I was just talking about it, really talking around it, you know, talking surface-wise, but I really wasn't getting into how I felt about it, and that's where the the aspect of resolving something or coming to accept something is recognizing how you feel about it, and yeah, sometimes we need a shovel, sometimes we really got to dig. And some people we really got to work real hard with. We got to get out the, the the double, the extra wide snow shovel with the heavy duty handle and dig, because we know it's in there. And we know that you know that we know that you know that it's in there. So we come after it in a nice way, of course, because we know that most people want to get an understanding of. Why they, why they are how they are. Why they're feeling what they're feeling. What is this that I'm feeling? I don't understand it. Flap starts the process. Now, years later, I did decide to modify flap. So buckle up. Oh boy, here we go. So it started out as, okay, I said, 
despair, loneliness, anger, pain, and pleasure. But something was just gnawing at me. Because something was missing. And it wasn't that any one of the five was not an important core feeling, but I just felt something was, was... I couldn't add another letter in there because it would kind of ruin the acronym. So depending on who I'm talking to, I kind of change it around. And so sometimes I exchange the loneliness for love. So it becomes fear, love, anger, pain, and pleasure. Now, why do I do that? Or why did I think about doing that? Well, I'm a firm believer, excuse me, that the two most basic feelings are fear and love. And that's fascinating. Thank you. And that all other feelings emanate from that. And I want you to test that out on yourself. When you, just throughout your daily living, when you're dealing with your kids or you're dealing with your friends or you're dealing with your your, your siblings or your loved ones, your spouse, whomever, and you are discussing something or deciding something, and then after it happens, ask yourself, hmm, was I responding out of fear or responding out of love? It's a very interesting self-analysis to do. Because let's just talk from a parental perspective. For those of you out there that are parents. We often live in those two worlds. You know, we often make decisions for our children out of fear because we love them, and we don't want anything to happen to them, and we're afraid that if they if we let them do this, something may happen. So out of fear and out of love, we make this decision. But then we got to sit back and say, okay, well, well, really, which one? Deep down, which one was that out of? Did I make that decision out of? And by the way, it's out of your own feelings, not your not their feelings. Did I make that decision out of fear? Or did I make that decision out of love for my child? If you made it out of fear, I would recommend you reevaluate. Because ultimately, think about it now, ultimately, I don't think we want to be making decisions out of fear. Agree or disagree, Mr. Producer? Uh, I agree, but I would have to say that at least in your what you're talking about when it comes to maybe a parent making a decision for their child and whether or not the decision is coming out of fear or love, if they are making a decision, <clears throat> excuse me, if they are making a decision out of fear, couldn't you say that that in that somehow love plays a part? That the decision that they are making in fear stems from the fact that they love their child and therefore fear is whatever the valid emotion is that they're feeling? See, Mr. Producer is is under the weather, and so his ears are clogged, and he obviously <laughs> didn't hear when I said that, yes, parents do make decisions out of fear and love. Right. 
but we need to reevaluate. So after we make the decision, we need to re- look at it and say, okay, well, what was the 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 root feeling there? We know that a part of each existed in, in the decision process, right. but what, which one was the underlying feeling? Of course, we lo- I love my child, okay, and I'm afraid the wheels are going to fall off the bus or the bus driver may get into an accident, so I'm not going to, you know, let them go, okay, because I love them. I don't want to lose them. I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it could be fear and love, okay? But what's the root? Which one is the root? So in in that example, the root, I would say, is fear. Right, okay, Okay. yeah. And I would say, and I'm open to being challenged on this. I'm just saying for me, I would say that we, we don't want to out of our own fear, make decisions. Out of our own fear. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense. So, you know, you're not going to stop, you know, Chris Morales Jr. from playing, you know, soccer because you're worried about him getting a leg and tearing his ADL, you know, when he gets clipped by one of the forwards because he's running down the soccer field. Right. You know, I mean, you're not going to allow that fear to stop you from letting him play. Because if you did, then I would say, what you doing, man? Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I agree with that. So, depending on what the circumstance is, I flip the loneliness to the love, and we go fear, love, anger, pain, and pleasure. Now... So we talked about why it's important to be able to name them, identify them, and then now the next step, obviously, is now using them in conversation. So when we're talking, when we're either when we're talking with each other, or if you're in the treatment setting and you're talking in group or what have you, you learn to start using those words in the course of your conversation when you're talking about whatever your experiences are. So now it becomes, well, you know, I felt I felt ashamed when I did that, or I, I was embarrassed when that happened to me, or I felt hurt and I was rejected, you know, and I really got angry about that. So now you're naming feelings. You're talking about feelings. Why is that important? Well, when you start getting in touch with the feelings that connect to various experiences that have occurred in your life, Okay, it starts like a cathartic process. It starts healing. It promotes deep discussion, meaningful conversation. Because if someone comes up to me and and wants to talk to me about an experience that they had with me, and they're just telling me about the incident, whatever it may have been. That's a different type of conversation. But if somebody comes up and says, you know, I was hurt by what you said. See, that impacts me differently. And for most normal people, that puts, you know, so instead of the 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 uh, defense walls and gates going up, or clanking down and going sideways like the prison gates, and you know, and you know, the walls going like up. Fort Knox. Right. 
you kind of, you know, you take a step back and you're like, okay, wow, I, I didn't realize I had this impact. What is that called? You, you kind of have some empathy for what's being stated because they're telling you how they feel. And going back to Mr. Felix Arroyo, and God bless him wherever he may be, this is why he kept on saying, what's the feeling? You got to get to what the feeling is. Don't tell me about the incident over and over and over and over and over again. Well, he pushed me in the back. He pushed me in the back. I know he pushed you in the back. I want to know how did you feel? Because it could be anything. The incident could be anything. One of the things we tell people when they come into treatment, you know, we have rules, and, and most programs have these rules. We don't want war stories. Okay? But I'm, maybe I'm a little bit of a rebel, but I always thought war storing actually had a little side benefit. Let the devil out a little bit? Well, it, to me, I looked at it as, as an I, – I, I mean, I didn't – I mean – during my time, you know, war story was just out. I mean, it was just not happening, okay? But as the reins got loosened a little bit, you know, I, I saw it as more as an opportunity when people were war storing to see, you know, as they were war storying, if they were actually talking about their feelings at the same time, you know, using it as an exercise. Sure. And as long as the war story wasn't, you know, inappropriate, okay? Right. Um. So I just thought as an opportunity, if they're if they're talking about their experiences on you know during their their addictive life, you know, can they use that storytelling and talk about their feelings at the same time and get practice? Oh yeah, we're going to get to Alan Ivers. Right, right, practice. Practice. The practice of talking about your feelings, because if you're in a treatment setting. You are not going to be there forever. And as Mr. Producer correctly stated, more often than not, the, the seeds are just being laid now. You know, people aren't staying in programs in like 12, 18 months anymore. It's not happening. 90 days, six months, maybe nine if you're lucky. So we're kind of just laying the foundation, planting some seeds. But I do know and I say this to almost everybody, so by the time you walk out those doors, one or two things must have happened. Either you have learned how to articulate, express, verbalize, one of the three, choose whichever one you want to use, your feelings, and or you have resolved the issues that have contributed to why you're in the program. Now, the second one may not happen because of time. You know, some stuff takes a while to resolve. And as I said before, we would recommend people to have continued counseling, continued therapy, because some trauma is very deep and, and requires lengthy counseling and therapy. But I want you to at least have the understanding of how you must go about it what's required in order to get to where you ultimately want to get to. And so you may not get there in three months, you may not get there in six months, but I certainly want you to get there sometime. 
And if you have the understanding walking in, you know what? I know what my feel. I know what the feelings are. I have. I, I can name them. I just need to, when I'm talking now, be able to associate the feelings with my experiences. And if I can do that, then I can. I'm, I'm starting the process of resolving whatever the issues are that I have. I can then get to a point where I can put them behind me. I then can get to a point where I cannot change what the experience was, but ultimately I want to be able to change how I may feel about the experience, which is very important. Some people come in with very traumatic experiences, and there's absolutely nothing anyone can do to change them. But we can sure as hell work very hard to change how you may feel about those experiences. Why? Because you actually, you must. You must change how you feel about it in order to move forward and progress past it. Because if the feeling remains the same, then you're going to stay right there with it. So it's like it happened yesterday. Is that what we want, Mr. Producer? We want people to stay where they are, or we want them to pro- progress forward? you got to progress. That's a must. That's a must. Progression, and tra- I mean, staying stagnant, obviously, there's only so much you can get if you stay stuck at a certain level. And treatment, even outside of treatment, just living a life of recovery, you constantly need to be progressing. Okay. So, for all those out there who are wondering, what the hell is this guy talking about? What's the feeling? Fear, loneliness, anger, pain, and pleasure. Or fear, love, anger, pain, and pleasure. Use those as your springboards to talking about your feelings. And if you're chatting with anybody and they're talking about their experience, and I don't care who it is, anyone that you happen to interact with and that that is worth worthy of having these types of conversations. Don't let them just storytell. We stop people from storytelling. We want to hear how you feel. Then we can connect. And that's what's important. If you can tell me how you feel, then I can connect to you. I can sympathize, empathize, I can identify. And even if none of those three apply, at least I can understand. Because I know what it feels like to feel fear. I know what it feels like to feel lonely. I know what it feels like to be angry. I know what it feels like to have pain, hurt, and pain. I know what it feels like to feel pleasure. Every human knows what it feels like to feel those things. So they can at least understand when you say those things. Okay, I know what that's like. Okay, Mr. Producer, quick break. Quick break? Yep. All right, we will take a quick break. We do already have some callers on hold. We see you there. Please continue to hold. Stay patient with us, and we will get to you on the other side.
you hear that? What you won't do, you do for love. You'll try anything, but you won't give up. That's the attitude you need to have in recovery. You've got to love or learn to love yourself first. You've got to be willing to try anything that will help you succeed. And most importantly, you can never give up. Visit us at ocgworks.org. OCG, where hope grows. What you won't do Welcome back to Roadtown Recovery, 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in. We're talking about our show topic today, what's the feeling, paying homage to Felix Arroyo, one of my staff training mentors, one of his favorite sayings. So uh, since people are still buckled up, we talked about fear and love at least from my perspective, being the two core feelings from where all other feelings emanate from. Fascinating. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> What's your thoughts on that? Uh, beyond fascinating, uh, you know, I would say I would have to actually think about it for quite some time, but it makes a lot of sense because... It's an exercise to be, do it, yes. Because I would say... Love and fear, at the very least, kind of thinking about it right now off the top of my head, are definitely the most powerful emotions that I have ever felt, either in one sense or the other, uh, whether it be love or fear. They tend to be emotions that invoke a lot of physical reaction, physiological reaction. Uh, They're incredibly powerful, and so the fact that other feelings stem off of them, I could see how that would be – I would see – how that could be the case to kind of like the root of things, but the exercise would be something that I would have to do because I can't say for sure, you know, that that's exactly where all feelings stem from, but I could see how that would be the case. I'm going to have to give it a try this week. Report back next week. Yeah. I I encourage everyone to try that, you know, as you go, go through your, you know, your week and, you know, you just, as you're interacting with people and talking and making decisions and so on and so forth to look back and say, okay, did I do that out of love or out of fear? And even keep a tab, on, you know, and see, you know, how many times you believe it came from fear, how many times you believe it came from love. And by the way, there's no right or wrong answer. It's not wrong if it came from fear. It's not right if it came from love. It's really just on having an understanding and being aware of, as you said, Mr. Producer, how powerful and primal those two are. Right. And that you can extend out from that other feelings that you then encounter. Right. So you can take love and from there talk about pleasure, joy, etc. From fear, you can then go to the other feelings. We would call them negative feelings. You have negative feelings and positive feelings. So most negative feelings stem from fear. Most positive feelings stem from 
love. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it. I'm interested in doing a little exercise with you right now, actually. Okay. You tell me what the first feeling comes to your mind or from your heart uh, when you hear this. How about them Cowboys? Yeah! Extreme <laughs> disappointment. <laughs> so, a negative feeling, and that coming from fear on some level? Fear that there will be no bounce back? Fear that uh, next season you will not reach such heights? Fear that the chance to hoist the trophy has come and gone? This is an unfair rubbing in. <laughs> an unfair taking advantage of a person in a weakened state. <laughs> a weakened psychological state because their team has faltered. Uh, yeah, you could say uh, disappointment, um, frustration, upset, anger even. Oh, yeah. You experience uh, all, all of, especially how the game ended, of course. Not meaning to, you know, go off topic, but yeah, in relation to the question you asked, those are all the things you, you would feel from how the game ended. Absolutely. So... The exercise in relation to the question you you ask for me would be to determine, well, I certainly know it didn't come from love. Or did it? Uh, did my love for the team that's what I'm thinking cause me to feel that way? If you didn't love them, would you be disappointed? Case in point. <laughs> Here's a case in point. Right? So when my girls, and they're grown now, would do things, let's you know, that required some disciplinary talking to. One of my favorite tools. I mean, my ace in the hole, my money in the bank. I hope you fathers out there have your notepads and pens ready. My my go-to line would be, "I'm just so disappointed." Rough. So disappointed. It kind of goes back to what you were talking about uh, when you discussed how you might feel if someone were to come up to you and tell you, you know what, that really, really hurt. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the anger where the yeah. defense can come up and everything yeah. else. But to hear that, you're, oh, man, it's a little sting, a little, it, it, a little it, jab. You get caught off guard because <clears throat> you, might, you might be expecting some yelling you know, some 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 high octane talking to, and you just walk in there and say, you know, I, I'm just very disappointed in what I heard today. I, I don't even know what to say. I had I had much higher expectations of you than that. Just just throws them off. Throws yeah. Them off. Yeah. So it 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 causes, in reference to your using me as a test case publicly. <laughs> it causes me to introspect and look, okay, so is my disappointment because come from fear? And is it and if it is, what what is it that I'm afraid of in reference to what may have transpired, let's say? Or is my disappointment from love? I would have to look into that. That's why it's a great exercise. It is. And there's no wrong answer, I repeat. There's sure. no wrong answer. But it's a great exercise for you to do. And to, and it helps determine whether or not my theory 
and it's not mine. I'm not claiming it. Um, whether the, that theory of those two feelings being the core feelings that others emanate from is actually true. Just thought, food for thought. Maybe we throw it out to the callers, just a little incentive to listen in next week. You and I both come back with having done that exercise, you for the one that I put you on the spot just now, and I will come back with the love or fear exercise for the firing of what I think is the greatest coach we've had in about 25 years. All right, so let me just be clear. You want me to come back in terms of, in reference to the Cowboys losing? That playoff loss and whether your feeling, whatever that feeling is, is stemming from a love for the team or a fear. Let me tell you why I think that that's an unfair request. <laughs> because immediately... Immediately after the game, I I canceled all of my podcasts, (laughs) stopped DVRing all of the shows I would normally DVR that they might be talking about the game. I go on total blackout, total blackout until at least after the Super Bowl. Understandable. And now what you're asking me to do is to dig deep. That's right. Go back into the disappointment. That's right. For the purpose of this exercise. Break out, I believe, the tool that you referenced earlier with the double wide snow shovel uh and all yeah, that's exactly what I'm asking. Dig you, deep into my dig deep into my feelings. While it's still fresh. While it's raw. That's right. I will take you up on the task. All right, beautiful. Uh and it's and for the record, it's still raw for myself as well as many other 49ers fans as well out there, so we'll both be doing something that is a bit of a challenge. I will say this, and I think my wife can attest to this. I have grown as a person when it comes to the impact that my sports team have have had on me throughout the years. I think when my kids were, my girls were young when they were toddlers, so this would have been the early 90s, and, and when the New York Knicks were, you know, right there on the verge of winning an NBA championship only to be thwarted year after year by Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, and then they finally made it to the NBA Finals and lost to Akeem Olajuwon and the Rockets. And, I I mean, looking back, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed at, at how I how something like that could impact me, and, and they would know not to be around me because I, I would have a sharp tongue and, and, and whatnot. All because of that. But as I grew and matured and sports became less important, my good friend Joe, my late friend Joe, finally came up with a saying that kind of helped us. I think you've heard me say this a few times, Mr. Producer. I'm sure. So we would experience a devastating loss. We would just look at each other and say, well, still got to get up and go to work in the morning. That's right. And then we would just move on. That's right. So we matured. We don't let it affect us as much. But I take you up on your on your on your uh your challenge. Perfect. To to dig deep. That's what we'll have to do. Okay. All right, let's take another quick break and then we'll go into our uh recovery sport. Sounds good. Again, thank you all uh for holding, those of you who are holding, and we are going to get to you on the other side. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you. 
Research on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. Welcome back to Roach on Recovery. We're going into our recovery support time now. Just wrapped up our show topic, what's the feeling? So let's go to our first caller. Been holding a while from Half Moon Bay, Kimberly. Welcome. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. Good. Oh, hello. Oh. Thank you. Um, so you're um, you're basing um, the subject to being of, of fear and love. Is that correct? Um, go ahead. I didn't understand. What was your question? Um, you're um, you're basing um, uh, tonight a lesson on uh, fear and love. Is that correct? No, we were talking about uh, learning how to uh, identify, name, and attach your feelings to people, places, things, and experiences. People, places, and things. As far as I have um, considered in my life, I I don't have. I'm powerless, um, just as well as alcohol and drugs, um, and reminding Hello? me of that when I'm sober um, keeps me, you know, in a safe place with myself. Uh, you know, uh, fear has. A huge meaning to it. When you are in fear, it's difficult to get out. Um, That's true. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I relapsed. Um, 
I had 15 months of good sobriety, um, but I was leaving out some important factors, and that would that would be having a sponsor, uh, going to more meetings, um, not doing the steps, and um, you know, not calling or depending on other people in recovery. Well, well, let's let me ask you a question. Let's let's do mm-hmm. a quick test on that on that theory. Okay. I'm going to ask you a simple question. Mm-hmm. What's the reason why you relapsed? Um, the reason, well, to be honest with you, from what I've been, by talking to professionals, I mean, I do see a psychiatrist and a therapist, and mm-hmm. for my own recovery, I was, those 15 months, I was always in relapse mode in that, during that 15 months because I wasn't properly um, doing uh, the work that was suggested. Um, I've integrated step work in. But let me ask you. Uh, let me let me let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Listen, listen to my question though. So okay. w- we agree. We agree um, that when someone actually relapses, when I mean by relapses, when they actually pick up and start using drugs again. Right. So we know that that the process of getting to that relapse act starts long before then. So we know that. And that's what you you stated that you know even during your time when you were sober that you know you weren't really doing the things you needed to do in order to make sure that your sobriety stayed strong. But mm-hmm. what I'm asking you is just strip away all of that okay. and just take a look at this question. Okay. When you just when you just get it down to its bare bare root. What's the reason why you relapsed when you actually picked up and used again? What's the bottom reason for that? Um, the real reason for that is because of anger, um, of fear, um, and um, not understanding um, the program and the phases and where um, and what phase. Um, you have your um, different privileges, um, and basically, you know, I put it on myself. I was supposed to be um, two weeks denied the fourth phase, and uh, I had heard right. it only should be Kimberly, one week. Yes, yeah, sir. Kimberly, I'm going to stop here for a second. I want you okay. to think about this. Okay. So when I ask you what's the reason why you relapsed, uh-huh. and we said let's strip away all of the other stuff, Okay. Okay. So when we strip away all of the external things, the only thing that's left is you. Exactly. You and your feelings. That's all that's left. Okay. Okay. Now, why did you start using again? Um, I believe that I really wasn't uh, in touch with my real feelings. I think I was confused on what I was really feeling. Uh, All right, I, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Okay. Did you relapse because you wanted to? Um, no, I really didn't. Um, in then fact, why, in 15 why, months. I'm sorry, go ahead. Why, why, then why, why, think, what do you think? This is brain now think mm-hmm. if you didn't want to 
because relapsing is not an accident. People don't accidentally relapse. It's a decision mm-hmm. that they make. People make a decision to do something. They don't. It's not an accident that it happens. So you made a decision to pick up and start using again. So yeah. And Could it have been? At, I'm sorry. At the forefront of that decision is a very simple truth. Okay. And I'm just in the interest of time. I'm going to tell you what that truth is, so that so that okay. you can. I want you to then go sit with it for a little bit, think about it. Okay? okay, because it then starts from there and then works its way up to the other things that you're talking about. So the simple truth when someone relapses, okay, mm-hmm. is always because they chose to. Is it possible that I could have had a reservation and didn't realize of course. it? Of, of course. Of course. But ultimately, ultimately, a person still has to make the choice to put that into action. So once once you understand that, wow, you know what? The, the the ultimate reason for my relapse is I chose to pick up. I wanted to pick up. I wanted to use. That's the ultimate, simple, bare-bones answer. Then from there, we then move forward. Okay, why did I want to do that? What was going on? What was I not getting? That, that's when all those other things you were talking about come into play. But we got to start from the very beginning. We can't okay. jump to, you know, we can't jump to, you know, there were other things going on and this and that. No, we start with, why did you relapse? Because I wanted to. Good. Excellent answer. That's okay. where we start. Okay? Okay. <laughs> so I want you to okay. think about that. I want you I to will. think about that. Then work your way forward. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. And everything will, and then it'll start to make sense. It'll start to fall into place. And once you have that understanding of that, you can then start the process of okay, I know now what to correct. So are you telling me that um, if I had another reservation, that in you, by you working the exercise that you're teaching me or telling me, would I be able to notice that before it happens? Because I don't want, I don't want to go out again. If you have if you have a reservation to use uh-huh. and you do not get rid of that reservation, you will eventually I don't know when, it may be yeah. a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, it could be five years. You will eventually, as long as that reservation exists, you will eventually live it out. So we gotta get rid of that reservation. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. All right. I understand that now. All right. Okay. Um, so you want me just to sit with it and... And call us back next week and let okay. us know where you're now, you know, a week later, where you're now at. Okay. Okay? Yeah, that's good advice. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Whenever somebody relapses, and and if I come into contact with them, that's the first question I always ask them. Why did you relapse? Right. And I let them go around and around naming 150 different reasons and so on and so forth, and slowly try and work them back. The answer is not – how many times have we said it? This is not really complex rocket science. No. Right. Pretty straightforward. Um, But, again – 
as we sat here today talking about feelings, they start to rationalize even the relapse and talk about everything else. Right. And the answer is very simple. You know, and I think maybe I can count on one hand the, the number of residents over 20-plus years that I've, had, that, that, that I've encountered that have relapsed, and I've asked the question, okay, why did you relapse, that have actually said to me, because I wanted to, I wanted to use, which is a true answer that yeah, I can respect and, and acknowledge. Right. It's the other ones that I have to spend time challenging and digging and digging and digging and trying to get them to understand that it's really a simple answer. Right. Yeah, right. Well, because like you said, uh, the the most elementary, you know, form of or or view of this is that it's a choice. Like you said, it's not an accident. No one forced you to. So if you chose to do it, at the very least, in that moment, that's what you wanted to do. What we then have to do, and, and we're going to, she, she mentioned reservation, and just so everyone knows that might be listening, that the term reservation, they, they need to put the word negative in front of it. So we, we usually say negative reservation, and it means that there's something that I'm holding on to that I think I can still do that's negative, and it's not going to impact me staying clean and sober. And so that's we call it a negative reservation. Or if you want to get even more down and dirty, we call it holding on to the corner of the holding bag. Holding on to the corner of the bag. Okay. So uh, I've told anyone, and and unfortunately it has not been proven to be incorrect yet, that if you have any negative reservations, you will eventually live them out. Now, I remember being a two-month member at Swan Lake, sitting in a group with another one of my peers, Keith Barden. He's out there listening. You remember this group way back when. You're sitting in a group at Swan Lake. The rest of the members of the group were older members. And as they were going around the room, different people in the room were saying, you know, well, I, you know, I felt like using today. Another person would say, well, I felt like using today, and so on, and they'll go around. And they got to me, <laughs> me and Keith, yeah. and we both said, well, you know what? That means you were going to use today, and that means you were going to use today, and we would just point at each person. Now, being a two-month member, how dare we disrespect them by telling them that, you know what? If you still, at 13 months, feel like you're going to use, that you, you know what? Unless you correct that, you're going to use. They were like, how dare you say that to us, you two-month, day-one dingbats. That's what they called us. But we knew that we were correct in what we were saying, that they had these negative reservations that, you know, that they still wanted to use or that they still could use or that, you know, I could smoke one joint or just have one drink. And we would say, no, well, you're going to live it out. We didn't make it up. We didn't come up with that stat. It only makes sense. You're going to eventually live it out. And so we, we teach Whatever the negative reservations you have, number one, be honest about them. Trust by talking about them. And let's get underneath why why you have them. What's behind them? And let's see if we can get rid of them. Because if you don't, you're going to live it out eventually. All right, let's go to 
Henry calling from East Palo Alto. Henry, welcome. Ah, thank you. How are you doing this evening? Good. How are you? Well, I don't know. The last uh, subject of our conversation was boredom, and I believe we got to a negative mindset and we ran out of time. And I did some work around that, and what I came to the conclusion of is, okay, so I'm in a treatment facility. I check myself in a treatment facility, you know, because I have a surgical procedure coming up. And the boredom thing was out of, well, how much treatment is enough treatment? I mean, like, if you're in a treatment program and there's no where to go and there's no way to achieve any of your, even your short-term goals, um, what is there left to do but just exist, right? And you were correct about the negative mindset. Okay, we did some work around that, and, and, and I've managed to change that. But now, uh, w- one thing I've learned about recovery is that we don't stay stuck in the same thing very long. I have a different fish to fry today. All right. Let's fry it. All right. <laughs> so... I had a I had a surgical procedure done uh, four days ago, which was a total knee total knee replacement. Um, my drug of choice is opiates, and the amount of medication they're giving me is scant to none to what my tolerance level is. So I'm just curious as to what puts me at risk more: keeping myself down to the point of making a decision that is negative or <clears throat> uh, putting myself into a more comfortable state but taking the long-term risks of changing my thinking over to, well, maybe I need to take medication forever, which isn't an option at this point. But <clears throat> I don't know if you can see where I'm going with this. A little bit, not not 100%. So let me just ask a couple of questions to see if I can narrow it down a little bit. So, and we remember before we actually talked about you behind your back on the next, on the show that you were, after you went into the hospital, by the way. So we were waiting waiting to hear back from you. It was in a a good light, though. We don't talk about, we don't talk negative about anyone. It was a a good light because you brought up an excellent subject. And so we talked about it a little bit in our recap. So I'm glad to hear back from you. So you've had the procedure whatever the total knee replacement and mm-hmm. you're you're receiving some pain medication but nowhere near what needs to help you with the pain is what i heard correct yeah it's really uh, it's very it's it's like it, it's almost non-existent to, okay. compared to my tolerance it's, levels and what it takes me to uh to navigate pain at, right yeah so is your concern that if I get the amount of medication that I actually need because of where my tolerance level is, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an opiate, was an opiate addict, um, is that going to send me at some point, maybe not right now, maybe not next week, next month, next year, but at some point over the edge and back into my addiction? Yeah, that would be pretty much correct. What I'm I'm faced with having to make a decision here, and see, the the decision I need to make is okay. Well, right now I'm in a, in a if I stumble and fall, um, I'm screwed. 
you mean there's physical? no way there's enough pain medication on hand for me to uh, to make the pain. I'll have to go to the emergency room. That's the bottom line. All right. Line. So, so let me, well, let me ask you, what is your dilemma that whether or not I should make this decision to get the appropriate amount of pain medication that I, I need, and if I make that decision, what may be the consequences of that decision? Yeah, there's some dilemma? of that going on, and then there's some people-pleasing things that I have to work through myself, too, because other okay, people are... Yeah, when, yeah let's not... Let, let, let's just not us. confuse the issue. Yeah. All right. Um, so, here's the big question, Henry. If you get the amount of medication that you need in order to provide you with the pain relief, or at least enough to take the edge off... Uh, of, of from your recent um, medical procedure, where are you at mentally with your recovery? Is the question actually mentally? I'm in a good spot uh, with my recovery because I've checked myself into a treatment facility to navigate this particular difficult. Because my body doesn't know the difference between heroin or. Uh, uh, I understand, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So, at any rate, yeah, I checked myself into a treatment facility, and um, to help me through that. Now, I, I'm doing all the things that I need to do, and and, and uh, we talked about the negative mindset thing and all that other stuff. Um, and I've worked, I've done some work around that. I, I think my head's in a good spot. I think I've got all the right things, and and. What concerns me right now is <clears throat> one thing I know about pain is pain is a better motivator towards a negative decision than um, rational thought. I don't know if that made any sense, but what I meant well, by that is I know, Henry. I know. I know what you mean by that. But can I can I offer a couple of things right. to help move this along? Number one, you're you're making it way too complicated. Mm-hmm. You're making it way too complicated. All it comes down to is no one knows you better than you. Right. Okay. And. The first question that you must ask you is, do I trust myself based on where I am at, not physically at, I don't mean where, where you're at physically in a, in a recovery program, where I'm at mentally, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera, in terms of my recovery? Mm. Actually, now, I trust myself. If in, okay, well, if, let me just say, if I'm in a spot where, you know what? Uh, on a scale of one to a hundred percent, I'm at seventy percent trust. Then I would say, okay, that's a concern, and I can understand that. Mm-hmm. If you're at thirty percent, I would say, you know what, you might have to tough it out until you get up there a little bit. Right. But if you're but if you're in the eighties and the nineties, I would say, well, that means that you can be responsible with. Whatever you, it is that you need medication-wise, 
so that you're not suffering. Right. I mean, why should you suffer? No, and that was my point, you know. Uh, that was my point. You're not going to get any accommodations for, for suffering just because, you you know, you, you said, well, you know, I, I'm well, there's a lot of that. negative things. I, I mean, it, suffering puts me away from my goals a little farther. And, and um, I think mentally, spiritually, it would actually strengthen my position than weaken it. If you do what? If I if I increase the dose of medication. So then, what you I won't be for? thinking about maybe some alternate form of relief or. Uh, so what are you, what are you waiting it, for? Uh, I'm not. I'm basically I'm going to make the call tomorrow. But it was just a nice subject to uh, talk to somebody about. Oh, absolutely. You Don't know, suffer. I mean, like uh, my best thinking got me here. So who's and to say that? Right. Go ahead. So who's to say that you know? What I'm thinking is correct. So, I mean, like, it's always nice to have another ear to run it by. And this has been a, a, a problem that I know a lot of other people struggle with. You know, when I was a younger man, I went through surgery with a shot of Novocaine. I'll never do that again. But I do have to be mindful of my mental and physical and spiritual state because if that's in jeopardy, it, it doesn't really make a difference what I do. Exactly. And and I would only add that what you should in making your decision and in, in discussing it with your doctor that you find a, a, a you know a dose of medication that's appropriate enough to provide you so that you're not suffering and at the same time that you can be you can function mentally, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, etc. And and if you're in a treatment recovery program that you are in the right place to help you uh, manage that. So when the time comes, and we don't know when it's going to be, because I know uh, uh, just, I mean, I've never had one, but I, I've, other people who have had a new replacement, you know, there's a recovery process. Yeah, two there's to six months with some physical therapy that's pretty brutal, I guess. Right. So, I, you I know, haven't got we, into the gist of it yet. but Right. So we don't know how long it's going to be, but it can be managed with the right attitude, with the right, you know, support, you know, it could be managed. And when the time comes where you get to your ultimate goal where, you know what, my pain has been reduced, I'm walking better, I got a brand spanking new 2015 knee, you know, <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the warranty is on that, five years, ten right. years, whatever, uh, you know, then you make the appropriate decisions to wean down, step down, and you move forward. But you certainly don't feel guilty about making sure that you don't suffer. No one should be suffering physically. Right. Yeah, I kind of felt that way. That's why we're here. That's why we're And this comes in on the on the hindsight of this isn't my first surgical procedure. I failed miserably on another surgical procedure when I broke my back and my neck, and 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 I didn't come out of that one so well. But my okay. mental and physical and spiritual state at that point was quite a bit different than it is now. Okay. So what you're going to do, which we, we asked you to do last time, and, 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 and we appreciate you calling back and updating us. So we're going to ask if you can call us back next week. 
and let us know how the conversation went, you know, with the doctor in terms of making that decision you're, you're going to make, and you know how things are right, you know, a week from now. Right, and the, you know, the, the, there's other the other side to it is, you know, a lot of physicians they they want to steer clear of a guy that's had some history. You know, they they're really reluctant to give you what you what you need, and I don't know that there's a. It seems like there's not a lot of education amongst physicians in the in in uh, disease of addiction because well, they just I think it doesn't seem. Well, I don't know. Your, Maybe I'm all well, washed up. No, no, no. In your conversation with your doctor, you just need to be honest, okay, about where you're, where you're at. Not physically where you're at, but where you're at, and maybe physically where you're at. And this is what I need. This is what my goals are in terms of managing my medication, okay? And trust that by being honest with your doctor, your doctor is going to respond appropriately. Because you're not going to give the doctor any signs or, uh, or signals of, you know, that you're trying to, you know, be sneaky or doctor be, you know, shop, right? I think that's the term like that, that people use. You're having, an honest, you're having an honest, forthright conversation with your doctor about your health status. Right. Okay? <laughs> so you're going, to, you're going to call us back next week and let us know how it went? Yeah, I'll let you know how that went. I'm, it, it'll be interesting to see how it goes for me because, uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of people run into problems with their physicians over this. And uh, okay, but we're gonna but we're gonna think positive. That's we're right. That's positive. right. I'm trying to cover all the bases. What I'm what I'm making the attempt to do. Trying. I don't like that word very much. I'm attempting to cover all the bases. And okay, this is but one you don't have to do that. Just focus on being positive. Don't try and predict what the doctor's response is going to be. Focus on what you're going to present to the doctor from a position of mm -hmm. honesty and trust. Okay. Okay. And you want me to call back next week? Let us know how it went. All right. We'll do that. Okay, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, it's a tough one. It is. You talked about, you know, like suffering, and I think you had mentioned something. You had like a personal experience with this with your friend Joe, mm -hmm. um, and that's true. You don't want any human being to suffer, but it' interesting in his case that he seems to know that that's shaky ground for him, mm -hmm. and so that is that is difficult. But it's a ground that must be covered. You can't. You can't. I mean. I guess if you if he never had another medical thing come up from the previous one when you talked about the back and the neck experience right. that then sent him I guess down a bad road, but if he never if he recovered from that and he never had another issue that would be one thing, but another medical issue has come up that's putting him in a position where wow I'm going to need pain meds again what's is it the same I mean it's the same stuff we talked about before is the same thing going to happen. So we want to get him away from that mindset that, oh, this is going to be right. the same old thing. I'm going to end up in the same place three years from now. I'm going to be an addict again. No, that doesn't have to be the end result. Right. You know, the reality is you can manage the process appropriately, but your mind's got to be right. Your attitude's got to be right. Right. 
Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And um, and I guess, if anything, him having that reference point because he's been through it could actually act as an advantage if his mind is in the right place yeah. because he he knows now what to look for and things of that nature. So, And if you come at the doctor from, you know, if the doctor feels like you're being honest and that you actually are talking about a plan based on, you know, hey, you know, this is what my issue is and this is how I want to manage it moving forward. You know, I mean, they look at that, in, at least from my experience, positively, the, rather than you just walking in there saying, yeah, I, I'm in pain and I need this. Right. You know what I mean? That's, right. That's not giving any information. You need to have a conversation with the doctor, not... Right, you know, come just, from a place where the doctor feels that you're being genuine, exactly. that you're coming from a real place. Right. So hopefully, uh, between now and then... He can uh, become, you know, add a uh, a more positive vibe. He can present a positive vibe to the doctor and not walk in with preconceived notions that, um, you know, the doctor's going to be looking at him like he's doctor shopping and he's just an ex-heroin addict looking for stuff. The guy's had a, a, a knee replacement. And I've never had one, but from what I've told, in the early stages, you know, a post-operative, you know, the pain is no joke. So we got to do something. I know in California there's other drugs that they're using for pain. I think we talked about that subject. <laughs> All right, let's talk to uh, Faith from Oakland. Welcome. Hi. Um, Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, so I was wondering, um, I'm working on my fourth step, um, and uh, a lot of self-blame keeps coming up, um, and like a lot of like rationalizations for other people's like behaviors towards me. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Um, how do I how do I work through that? I mean, how do I know what's valid and what's not? And like, how do I? All right. Get so past let's that? let's just. <laughs> Okay, let's first name what the first the fourth step is, you know, making a, a a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. So that's what you're working on. Yeah. Introspecting, looking inside, digging deep, which is what we talked about today, digging deep to to really unearth those what what my feelings are. Mhm. All right, so the question to you is are you digging deep? Yeah. Yeah, I've been working me, on it for a couple weeks. Um, give me an example. Um, I've been looking at a lot of issues with my mom, um, some previous relationships, things like that. Um, a lot of things I just explained away, you know. Um, oh, they did that for this reason or whatever. Um, abuse, stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Well, let me ask you this question here. Because it says, i got to take a fearless and moral inventory. Mm-hmm. So we, we interpret that to just being a, a, an honest, brutally honest inventory of myself. Okay? So when you say that you used to just, you know, rationalize things in the past, let's just talk about, for a quick example, a relationship issue or a past relationship. Okay, in the past you may have rationalized an experience that you had in the relationship. 
But now when you're taking a fearless, brutally honest, introspective look at what transpired, okay, what do you what are you now saying to yourself in regards to the relationship? What am I saying to myself? Yes. Um Like I did, like maybe I deserved it or that That's you know. what you're saying today? That's what you're saying now uh-huh. after after the introspection? It's hard. I mean, like I'm still working on it and I don't really get to see my sponsor that often. Um so let's say you're by yourself in the desert. <laughs> there's no one there's no one to help you. You are aware of all of your experiences that you've had in your life. Okay? Today we talked about in our show what's the feeling? And we gave an exa- we gave a little cheat sheet to help people with their feelings. Flat, fear, loneliness, anger, pain, pleasure. Or fear, love, anger, pain, pleasure. Okay? So as you look back on your experiences, you can talk about them, even if you're just talking to yourself, about, okay, this is what I felt regarding that experience. So that's what I meant when I asked you the question. So now that you're on that fourth step and you're taking a fearless moral inventory of yourself, that means an honest, brutally honest look at myself and my experiences, when you look at the relationship and and the abuse you went through and, and, and the negativity that was present, Okay. What do you now say to yourself in regards to the relationship? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know is an answer you never allow allow yourself to give to yourself because that's I don't know means one of two things. Either it means I'm not willing to dig deep enough or I know, but I'm not ready to say yet. Mhm. Were you in a an abusive relationship? Um. Yeah. Okay. And at one point in time, did you believe that you were at fault? Yeah. Sometimes. Do you be- do you believe that today? I mean, I definitely have my part in it, you know? I mean, everybody has their own part, right? I mean... Let me ask you this. When you say abusive, do you mean physical? Yeah. Okay. So there is no part in physical. You don't okay. You don't deserve to have someone physically abuse you. Right. You can throw words back and forth all you want, but our hands stay to ourselves. If they're not if they're not out of love, they stay to ourselves. That makes sense. So as you're working on step four, okay, when you're done, my hope for you is that you come that the realization is the the you know, that you realize that, you know what, I did not deserve to be treated that way. Yeah. I did not deserve to be physically abused. 
And I just got to keep telling myself that. You have to come to that realization and actually believe it. It's not about telling yourself that 150 times. It's about really do while you're doing the introspection and you're looking back on the, the everything that transpired, and uh, you know, and talking about the feelings that were involved in that whole experience. Okay, there's certain truths that we know that everybody agrees upon. Starting out, that if someone punches me in the nose, okay, that's unacceptable. Even if I said something that was inappropriate, it's unacceptable for you to punch me in the nose. <laughs> okay. I mean, that makes and sense. I guess maybe I just kind of... I, I, I Rationalize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't, rash, you can't rationalize that away because what, the longer you rationalize it, then that means the further away you get from getting to an understanding and a realization of, okay, that was not right. Because that, what's going to happen is you're going to take that same line of thinking into your next relationship. Right. Say, okay, well, i, I got to make sure that I, if I don't say that, I, you know, because otherwise I'll have a partner. No, 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 no. We can throw words back and forth. Words and words. I know words hurt, but words are words. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you got some work to do on step number four. That's a big step, especially when you have some of the issues that you're talking about. So what I would like from you, Faith, is as you spend the week working on step number four, that if maybe you call us back next week and let us know what you have, where you have, how you've advanced on that step. Because obviously you got to conquer this one before you move to step number five. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> and we want to get you to number 12. So let's get busy on number four. Get, get Dig deep. Dig deep. Okay. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Another tough one. So remember I said before, one of the hardest things when you're counseling people is trying to convince them of certain things, trying to get them to believe certain things. And this is the same thing but in a, in a crazy opposite way. So you have a person who believes that, hey, you know, I'm partly responsible for getting punched in the nose, you know, I shouldn't have said what I said, and we're like, no. If you said mean things, you're responsible for that. Right. That's what you're responsible for, but you're not responsible for getting punched in the nose. And if we don't come to that understanding that that's that's not right, I don't deserve to be treated that way, so we don't know how deep that goes, so obviously we don't we can't get that deep, but... She has to, she has to get that deep, in order to get where she needs to get, so that she doesn't walk away with the attitude of, or the the thinking that I play a role, I play a part. 
that can't be. I'm speaking specifically to the physical abuse. We know words get thrown around back and forth. Words are words. Physical is different. And we get a lot of women who come in who have been physically abused. And we got to work to turn 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 their thought process around from the belief that it was my fault. And then that's hard work. It's hard work when someone believes something is their fault and you want to convince them that, no, it's not your fault. But they want to believe it. But we're still going to do it. We're going to push. All right, let's go to Jordan and Pacifica. I heard Jordan, welcome. Mumble, though. Couldn't. Jordan. Hello? We're here. Okay. Um. So my question for you is, um, I just went to church the other day, and I'm in recovery, and um, I kind of had a little problem with, uh, like, uh, with me being Catholic and all. Um, you're supposed to drink the blood of Christ and um, eat the uh, body of Christ, which would be bread and some wine. And I kind of had a little problem with the whole drinking of the wine thing because um, I'm trying to stay clean and sober, and I don't want that to trigger me. Um, kind of just have a question about, you know, if you could help me out with that because, I mean, it's part of my religion, but at the same time I'm trying to keep my sobriety, so it's kind of a on-the-fence thing. Well, Jordan, that's the easiest question we had today. Don't drink the wine. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I understand that, but um, I don't know, just having it, like, being a part of my, just being a part of my religion to, you know, drink the blood of Christ and then being wine and, like, does that go against, like, my religion or, you know, if I do, then it's kind of breaking my sobriety and, I don't know, just kind of been pondering it for the last, like, week. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Are you going to create a problem or solve a problem? Um, try to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Okay, so you're going to solve it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if you're going to solve it, that means that you then can't bring up things that are going to continue to raise problems. Mm-hmm. That means you're going to have to decide if if you're going to be firm in your convictions or you're going to be wobbly. Okay, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Okay, yeah, it's just been something that's kind of just been on my mind for the last week because, I mean, I don't feel I've ever had a problem with alcohol per se, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, I don't want it to, like, kick up anything else. So I kind of, I mean, I made the right decision at the time to not do it, but it's just, uh, it's just been on my mind. But, see, you you said the key words. You You made the right decision at the time. And you felt good about the decision. Now, afterwards, you're now thinking. If your brain now comes into play and starts playing tricks on you, stick with the decision you made. It was the right decision. You felt good about it. Go with that. Okay. Okay? All right. 
Well, thank you. All right, I sir. appreciate your time. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. All right, have a good day. All right. Oh, that was an interesting one. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. People can find any any excuse, really. But that's, uh, yeah, I guess you told a line on that one. All right, well, Mr. Producer, I think we are right up against the clock. We are indeed up against it. So uh, we just want to, again, thank everybody who's following us or listening, you know, all of our callers. Uh, we will uh, look forward to the recap next week where we will uh, do our homework bit. And uh, the host has one more thing to say before we sign off. Yeah, I want to remind people to go to our blogtalk.com forward slash blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio homepage, uh, our show page rather, and follow us. Perfect. And with that, uh, we wish everybody a good rest of the week, a good weekend, and we look forward to seeing you all next week. How about them Cowboys? Yeah! Yeah!
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.